morning, FCC family. How is everyone? Good, good. So we can start with the first slide while I introduce myself. Nicole Alexander Scott had the honor of getting married here last year. Um, I'm thrilled to be able to share with you some of what has been going on. I am an adult and pediatric infectious disease specialist. And I work at Rhode Island Hospital, at Hasbro Children's Hospital, at Miriam Hospital, and then I also consult as a subject matter expert at the Rhode Island Department of Health. And one of the things I, in sharing with you this morning is to offer a sense of comfort and a sense of understanding how hard people are working to make sure that we all stay safe, that we all are informed, and we all can provide the protection that's needed for each other as well as for those who have been affected. I think it's important to remember to support each other and our brothers and sisters during this process. So we can go with the next slide. I wanted to start by just sharing a little bit about Ebola and its history um, so that we can have some facts together. Um, it's referred to as a filovirus. There are hundreds and thousands of different viruses that are out there. So this is one of the classes that it's in. It can be a severe and often fatal virus in humans and in animals and was first started or noticed in bats, monkeys, gorillas, and chimpanzees in Africa. You can go to the next slide. African fruit bats appeared to be the reservoir hosts initially in some of the rural countries of Central Africa um, when it was first uh, described. Following human in infection through contact with an infected bat or other infected animals, um, Ebola virus was shown to then be able to be transmitted from human to human. Next slide. Something that's important, I don't know how easy this is to visualize away in the back, is just having an understanding that Ebola virus has been around for many, many, many years. It was first identified in 1976 in some of the, um, one of the rural areas in central uh, Africa where you see a few more of the dots that are there. Um, and uh, an important component about that is that uh, there have been almost 29 outbreaks of Ebola virus prior to this current one, and all of them in the past have been controlled and further spread has been stopped. One of the issues with why this has become so severe and so widespread, um, particularly within Africa, is many of the previous outbreaks that occurred in Central Africa occurred in rural areas where people became familiar with what to do. If someone seemed to be infected with Ebola virus, they essentially initiated their own village form of infection control and separated themselves from further contact, and with time, the, the virus went away because no one else got infected. The healthcare um, providers in those areas were familiar with that process. The change was when with travel, there was more of a movement um, to the city in the urban areas in West Africa, where there was less familiarity with what Ebola virus looked like compared to some of the rural areas, and less of an understanding and an infrastructure for being able to initiate infection control on a much more widespread 
process because thousands more people were impacted or affected by it in the city areas. And that's how the spread has happened so quickly. But we have had documented proof that with appropriate infection control, having the infrastructure in place to do it, you can stop further spread. It just requires more resources when you're involving a metropolitan or an urban area by the nature of there being many more people that are exposed. can go to the next slide. So in 2014 now, it's essentially been since uh, the early part of this year and has continued to grow, um, the outbreak now is focused on three main uh, countries, Liberia, as we know, Sierra Leone, and Guinea. So those are three countries that's important for us to keep in mind. There have been cases in um, Nigeria, and there was one case in Senegal, but that is a good example of how once infection control practices were implemented, the contact tracing that occurred, there were no further cases in Nigeria or in Senegal. There was enough of an infrastructure to carry it out appropriately. And so the last case in Nigeria was in September uh, 5th, at the beginning of September. So now anyone who has traveled um, since September 30th or beyond is not at risk of uh, Ebola exposure if you've traveled to Nigeria or to Senegal because they have controlled um, the infection and there have been no further cases throughout all of September and October in those places. So the three main areas for travel that we are aware of or paying, putting the focus on are Liberia, Guinea, and Sierra Leone. Next slide, please. So what's important is to be familiar with some of the symptoms of Ebola. Um, fever is a primary symptom, severe headache, muscle pain, weakness, diarrhea, vomiting, abdominal pain, decreased appetite, or unexplained bleeding or bruising. And anywhere from two days to 21 days after exposure to Ebola virus, those symptoms can develop. So one thing that you may notice are these symptoms are very nonspecific. Someone could have the flu and have symptoms that resemble that. So the key way for us to make a distinction is being familiar with the symptoms, knowing that you have a 21-day window period after exposure to develop those symptoms, and determining whether or not travel has occurred to one of those three countries that I've mentioned, Liberia, Sierra Leone, and Guinea. That's how we distinguish from other viral illnesses that we're all familiar with seeing. It's also a nice public health opportunity to say it's helpful to go get your um, flu vaccine in general, because if you've had the flu vaccine, there's less of a risk of having these confusing um, symptoms that occur. Next slide, please. So how does Ebola spread? It's spread through bodily fluids. Um, if you've had exposure to someone who's been sick with Ebola, um, if there are objects that have been contaminated with bodily fluids, particularly blood, that's the most um, infectious, and then the body of a deceased um, Ebola victim, unfortunately. Many people were thinking that once someone passes away, if they had Ebola, then they're no longer infectious but it still has remained in the body, and that's how um, Ebola has spread as well. 
And so on the right there are some of the bodily fluids uh, that are potential. And it can vary from um, sputum to stool, urine, saliva, sweat, tears, any source of bodily fluid. And then the person who touches has to have some open area or a mucous membrane like the eye where the virus um, would get into play. So if you have someone that you're not exposed to any of those bodily fluids and just sort of touch the skin and there's no open areas on your skin, there isn't any risk of exposure in that um, situation. It's more of a focus on the bodily fluids and then having an open um, area that's there. Next slide, please. One of the important things to be aware of um, and to... Um, address any questions of is that Ebola is not spread by air, water, food, except for bushmeat that could be contaminated because it can include monkeys or chimpanzees that we know can um, spread Ebola, um, mosquitoes, or people without symptoms of Ebola. None, in none of these scenarios can Ebola be spread. So that's an important component to take into play. Next slide, please. So contact tracing. This is how Nigeria and what's going on in Dallas and other places where we are working to um, keep control over further spread of the virus implements making sure that it doesn't spread anymore. So you find everyone who has come in contact, in direct contact with the sick Ebola patient and evaluates them for ex exposure. Those exposed are monitored twice a day for uh, temperature elevation, like fever, and are watched for symptoms for 21 days after the exposure. If fever or other symptoms were developed, contact the, the person who develops those is immediately um, isolated, tested, and then uh, given care when appropriate and then the cycle were to start again as far as contacts go. And then the next slide, please. So to stop an outbreak, it's a little challenging to see the um, picture perhaps, but the goal is to find and diagnose any patients who may have been exposed, isolate patients, find and monitor patient um, contacts, and then implement appropriate healthcare and infection control measures to decrease any further spread. And this is what I can assure you that hospitals, departments of health, um, healthcare providers in the outpatient setting are working continuously, hours and hours. We've been having 12, 14-hour days to make sure that all of the prevention measures are in place. Another key part is what I'm doing now. Education. You can be ambassadors to education, educating others about how this is spread, about the 21-day exposure window, and about the three countries to be aware of. Because sometimes we get questions about travel to Ghana or to South Africa. The focus is on travel from those three, three countries, Liberia, Sierra Leone, and Guinea, within 21 days, and someone who develops symptoms after that. Next slide, please. So this is the most important slide um, that you can take with you and in your memory. And then I've also provided an electronic form um, to Pastor John. 
this goes over what we have mentioned. If uh, you know a family member who has um, recently traveled to one of the three countries that we're mentioning, I know repetition is key, so Liberia, Sierra Leone, or Guinea, um, for the 21 days after they return, they should be monitoring themselves for fever, for headache, for body aches for three weeks during that process. Um, an important additional component on our public health end is we also look into what type of exposure happened when uh, they were traveling. There has to have been exposure to someone with Ebola in some form or another, whether a family member or attending a funeral or something like that. The majority of people that have returned um, from Liberia, Sierra Leone, or Guinea have not had those type of high-risk exposures. But nonetheless, anyone who travels, the recommendation is for three weeks after travel, checking for symptoms, fever, headaches, body aches, and some of the other symptoms that I mentioned that could go along with the flu. And what's extremely important is if you get sick, being able to tell a doctor what's going on. If you have family members, making sure, or friends, making sure that they're educated on this. If you've traveled to one of those three countries, you're within 21 days of that trip, and you've developed any symptoms, call your doctor. And the key is, when you call your doctor, tell the doctor that you have traveled. Let's spread the word that way. I just traveled to Liberia, Sierra Leone, or Guinea, I'm still within 21 days, and I'm now feeling one of these symptoms. I need further guidance in terms of what to do from here. And then that activates this entire process that we've been working tirelessly to make sure is in place. Um, the doctor then calls the Department of Health, whether in Rhode Island or in Massachusetts, and then the Department of Health coordinates what to do next, whether or not the person should stay home, whether or not the person should go to the hospital. And again, at that level, it varies depending on what exposure the person had when they um, were visiting Liberia, Sierra Leone, or Guinea. And I think that is the last slide. So um, I want to open it up for questions. The hope is to be able to reassure you to some extent, being aware of the key facts that um, uh, Ebola can be a serious disease. If you can put the slides back up, that would be helpful because people can write down the uh, websites. Um, Ebola is a serious disease, but there is an opportunity for controlling spread, for prevention, and most importantly, for education. Some of the key um, resources that are available are the Department of Health websites can provide information on the Rhode Island Department of Health website. There um, is a link for the public if you have general questions. The Centers for Disease Control also has um, questions, uh, an, an open line that's available for um, questions as well. Um, and then the Massachusetts Department of Health uh, website is key. So how does this impact what happens um, here in church when we all come together uh, as a family? 
What's important is knowing that these measures are in place. The majority of people that you will interact with are aware of this message, are educated on the fact that we all need to um, tell our friends, tell our family members, if you've traveled to Liberia, Sierra Leone, or Guinea, and you're within three weeks of that travel and you've developed any symptoms, you should um, call your doctor immediately and not come to church or other gatherings. So that's um, an important component to start. Um, other things that are beneficial are continuing to um, do all of the things that your own primary care provider would recommend. The flu vaccine has been mentioned, doing what you can just in general to uh, stay healthy. Um, and I think those are the, the keys. We've talked a little bit about um, ways to wash your hands or to um, stay clean in general. Um, our, our overall recommendation is we want people to be aware of and educate about um, the, recommend, the, the guidelines, three weeks, travel to those three countries, monitoring for symptoms. Once that's being done appropriately, the risk for Ebola then becomes rare in our communities. Um, and being able to carry on our regular activities is important. Being able to support each other, friends and family members, is important. Um, and trusting that, even in the setting of what's going on, that there are healthcare providers, public health agencies, who are trying to do the best they can to make sure that everyone is protected. Um, proof that hours and hours and hours has been sent, spent on working towards that. And then most of all, knowing that God is in control. That's an opportunity we're able to say here in church. So I want to, with that, open it up for questions, because I know there are a lot of things that you hear in the community that this is a nice time to address. Okay, when you ask, this is the only microphone we have, so if you're asking questions, um, what I'm going to ask you to do is to come in the aisle and stand down here so that we can, instead of having Alan run all over the place. Um, and but I wanna, I've got a couple of questions to ask you, because it may be in the back of people's minds. Are there any known cases of Ebola in the Providence area? No, there are not. Okay, all right. And you talked about uh, washing. So washing your hands regularly, hand sanitizers, those kinds of things will help? Those, that um, uh, recommendation is actually just most important for the respiratory virus season that we're coming up right. against. The washing your hands is actually going to be more protective for flu and respiratory syncytial virus, RSV, that kids get and others that will be going on. And it certainly won't hurt from an Ebola standpoint but more of what we're saying here with watching for symptoms is important. Shaking hands with somebody. That's completely fine. Okay, okay, because that's yes. when that gets in people's Absolutely. minds. Absolutely. Okay, all right, okay. Floor? Okay. So, Nicole, what you're saying is, unless I'm in contact with somebody with Ebola, there's no way I can contact Ebola. I sensed a follow-up question, so I was waiting to fulfill, 
finish answering, but go ahead and ask the full question and then I'll answer both. Say, if I have a visitor from Liberia, I'm not from Liberia, but granted I have a visitor from Liberia, what do I do with that person? Do I, I have to keep eye on her for 21 days or send her somewhere else or tell her not to come? Thank you. That's an excellent um, uh, question. So the previous slide um, shows the recommendation of what we need to continue to educate each other on. If you have someone that has visited, you want to tell them if you were, you know, were you exposed to anyone who may have had Ebola when you went to Liberia, to Sierra Leone, or to Guinea? Um, and if they say, yes, they were, um, making sure they're educated. Do you have a thermometer to check for fever twice a day? Are you familiar with the symptoms should, that you should be watching for? Do you have a doctor to go to if you were to develop symptoms? Are you having symptoms right now? Um, those are things that you can educate um, each other on. Most of the times, the answer is no for right then and there because when people develop symptoms, they progress very quickly. Um, but... Uh, if there is a sense of discomfort with what's going on with that person and they have traveled, the Department of Health is a resource for you to be able to call if you have the person's name and you want to offer that to the Department of Health and the Department of Health can contact that person and check in and make sure that they are doing okay as well. This whole response is something we all need to do together and just making sure that people are not afraid to... Um, encounter or go into the healthcare system if they've traveled from Liberia, Sierra Leone, or Guinea, and within 21 days they have symptoms. You want to encourage each other. Go get, um, get care. Call your doctor and make sure you know. As a parent, um, we all know that kids aren't the best with washing their, washing their hands touching things, wiping their eyes, their nose, stuff like that. And also like direct contact sports. If your child, like just monitor your child. I mean, can Ebola be transmitted through like contact sports? It can if there's been open exposure, mucous membranes or open skin. Um, but what we would want is to make sure the schools are aware of um, those recommendations. If you're able to, you can just leave up that slide with the picture on it. And um, uh, if children, children, because you have to, and that's why it's helpful to have the whole story or understanding of this. The children that your um, children are exposed to would have had to themselves have traveled to one of those three countries and gone to a funeral or had exposure themselves and be back within three weeks of that trip to then be at, and have symptoms to then be at risk of transmitting anything to your child. Okay, because what I heard on the news this morning, and this is a little bit scary, is that they, somewhere I want to say like in Ohio, they're quarantine, quarantining 100 people that were in contact with one of the nurses from Dallas. Mm -hmm. So how can everybody that's, who knows? Thank you. Who knows who's been exposed to who? You know what I'm saying? Like to bring it and, and to pass it. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a scary thing too because it might not be someone that's traveled to those countries but has been on a, 
on a plane with somebody. Mm -hmm. So and for that, the Centers for Disease Control is trying to be as public as possible. That's why they are sharing these. We've kept track of where the nurses have gone um, and now have already also put a ban on anyone else further traveling. So there should be less of a risk of one of the nurses from Dallas or one of the other places traveling to Rhode Island having symptoms and then exposing you know, an adult or another child that has been there because they are stopping that even further now too. Thank you. Definitely. But, e but even on a plane, you'd have to have physical contact within that 21 days with some kind of bodily fluid and then that would have to get transmitted. Absolutely, in someone who has but, symptoms. Correct, okay. Uh, my question is regarding transmission, uh, Ebola transmission through coughing, sneezing. It is possible. If you have someone that has traveled back um, from one of those three countries, they're within three weeks and they cough or sneeze, it is in those bodily fluids. So in that sense, it could become airborne in that particular case? We don't consider that airborne because it's the droplet of the fluids that are coughed or sneezed out. Okay. Airborne is when you're just breathing mm -hmm. and I'm standing here and you're standing there and you right. get exposed to me. That's more so with tuberculosis, but not with Ebola. In general, uh, how far, like a sneeze, you know, it's kind of a crazy question. How far, do, how far does that go? You know what I mean? I'm a not droplet. in fear. I'm not in fear. I'm no, just it's a I'm, good question. I'm <laughs> a droplet, we usually say not more than three feet. Okay, I had heard that on the CDC mm -hmm. website. Thank you. I'm noticing that with the education about uh, the flu, people are using their sleeves and things more anyway. So that we need to be very conscious of how we, we sneeze or other people around us are sneezing. Yes, Dr. Rocha. <laughs> thank you very much. And I, first of all, I want to thank Pastor John for allowing us to use this as a forum to discuss this because ignorance is a big thing and we don't want to uh, spread that and have fear in us. And also, you did an excellent job of thank discussing you. everything. Okay. The, the point I want to make is that, that there have been no uh, contraction of uh, uh, Ebola of disease from people who did not have symptoms. So even if they've been traveling, if they don't have symptoms, there's no chance, correct me if I'm wrong, of catching the disease if they don't have the symptoms. So that's something to keep in the back of your mind. Yes, I appreciate that clarification. Okay. So the requirements are they had to have traveled to Liberia, Sierra Leone, or Guinea. It has to be within three weeks of that travel, and they have to have symptoms, and you have to be exposed to bodily fluids of that person with symptoms within three weeks of travel to one of those three countries. And then you have to have some sort of open area or mucous membrane that that bodily fluid could get in contact with to um, cause the spread. The other thing, just to support what you've been saying, as a primary care physician, we get weekly reports from the health department telling us all about what we should be doing. We have algorithms to, f to follow if we come in contact and uh, what questions to ask who to call, and so forth. So the health department and people like yourselves are doing a fantastic job. Great, thank you. That's a helpful reassurance because I've been part of the hours and hours of work that's gone into putting together those provider advisories and answering those phone calls and making sure that people are educated and informed. 
Hi, you mentioned the comparison of the Ebola virus with the flu-like symptoms. So does the testing specifically detect Ebola, or is it really based on the best guess and the elimination of all the symptoms? It's a good question. The test specifically tests for Ebola. An important part at the public level to be aware of is once you get past this slide, you know, at the public level, it's important to educate friends and colleagues about this. The part that's not on here is what happens afterwards. So once the doctor is informed, they call the Department of Health. The Department of Health takes over with further analyzing um, what risk that person experienced. Then um, the Department of Health works in coordination with the Centers for Disease Control to determine that this is a patient who is high enough risk that we should be testing for Ebola. Um, because of the way the test works, during the first 72 hours, the first three days of symptoms, it um, cannot detect as well the Ebola virus because the virus is still building up slowly. The risk of transmission during that time exists, but it's still low. It's after three days that the virus has built up high enough in the blood that the test works to be able to detect Ebola. So in order for an, a test to be done, it has to go through all these extra steps after you contact your doctor that the Department of Health and Centers for Disease Control have to then approve the test. And then after the person has had symptoms for 72 hours and they're appropriately being monitored in the setting that has been decided, then the test is sent to the CDC or one of their chosen laboratories to specifically identify Ebola. And it takes about 48 hours for the result to come back. Okay. Thank you. I have a cat. And um, she doesn't go outside, but could I get it from um, the stuff in her litter box or if she touches me with her nose or something like that? Not that we know of. In addition to the fact that your cat would have had to have traveled to Liberia, <laughs> Guinea, or Sierra Leone, come back and be within the three weeks and have symptoms and have passed it on to you. But I guess and um, I have one other question. Um, I have a lot of squirrels around my house. Um, and I like to sit outside on my deck a lot. Um, and sometimes the squirrels come on my deck. Um, does that put me at risk because the squirrels... No, it does not. And everyone is gaining, because these are very normal questions. So what's helpful is having these conversations and this discussion gives you also the empowerment and the education to answer this appropriately for friends and loved ones who will be asking very normal questions. So as far as we know, there are no animals in this country, and I don't know that, um, uh, no animals in this country with Ebola. So you are perfectly fine to enjoy lunch on your deck with the squirrels together. <laughs> My question is, you said uh, about funeral. Now, when an Ebola, Ebola person died, do, do they cremate them or they have to be cremated in all communicable diseases? So far, cremation is being done here in the U.S. I think they are working towards that in West Africa, but it's a little bit more challenging because, as you can imagine, it's a... Um, you know, very strong tradition to yeah. be able to appropriately bury yeah. your family members that a lot of emotion and um, strong feelings are involved with. So there's still a process towards balancing that 
with working towards uh, cremation. But here, the one unfortunate um, death that happened was uh, cremated. And I think the education is key too, because as challenging as it is, you can tell family members who have to go back for an unfortunate funeral to restrain from engaging in the usual funeral burial practices that would require someone to touch the body afterwards or to use appropriate personal protective equipment um, in that process if they were going to. So education is the key. And many of us are familiar with the fact that there needs to be some adjustment in what happens with the um, traditional funeral practices back home because of what's going on. Um, when you have um, droplets or any bodily fluid, um, the exposure to air kills some of the virus after a certain amount of time. So I wanted to know how that is with um, the Ebola virus. So ask one more time. You mean like from um, a sneeze or something yes, like that? Yes, if you have, um, you know, even urine and um, you're using the same bathroom or you're sneezing and it, it's exposed... I know with um, the AIDS virus, after a certain amount of time, when it's exposed to air, it dies, and it will not infect anybody. So I wanted to know how that is with Ebola. Okay, great. So after it's <clears throat> been exposed or released from the person, how long does Ebola last in the bodily fluids after it has been released? Um, there's a variety of answers to that question. Um, the first is uh, a few hours, it's possible. It's actually a relatively weak virus once it's outside of a host where it is obviously very progressive. So that's where even just hand washing or wiping or cleaning with some sort of detergent can actually kill the virus um, after exposure um, or after it has been released from the body. So it's thought to not last longer than a few hours. That being said, the CDC does um, recommend or make note that if there is someone who has had Ebola and has survived and is recovered, um, Ebola has been found within the semen of such a person for up to 72 days after they've recovered from their disease. So the recommendation is not to engage in unprotected sexual activity for three months for anyone who has had Ebola because of the risk of uh, transmission. But once it's outside of the body, it doesn't last for longer than a few hours, and it's even shorter if an area is cleaned appropriately. So what, what, about, what about restrooms? Are there's a risk there? Um, well, standard precautions can be used in restrooms as we would all want to do anyway. <laughs> so ladies that don't always sit on the toilet seat or wipe it beforehand and then washing your hands afterwards should be adequate enough um, in making sure that you stay protected in a restroom, which is what you would want to do anyway because of HIV, other viruses, anything that's um, out in bacteria that's, that's out there. Good morning. Uh, my question also has to do with transmission. I'm wondering, we've all you know, heard about the handshaking, and oftentimes we're shaking hands with people. Sometimes we don't know. So what I'd like to know is, um, can, regarding the, the open, open uh, place on a hand or something that's open, an open cut or a wound, um, Dr. Sanjay Gupta actually said that you can even have microscopic tears on your hand that you may not be aware of. So should we be concerned about that? 
Um, it is possible if there are microscopic um, uh, openings on our hand, but the person that you are shaking hands with would also have to have some sort of bodily fluid or microscopic ability to have the fluid come out from their hand and then get into your hand. Plus, they need to have been within three weeks of travel to Liberia, Sierra Leone, or Guinea and have symptoms themselves for it to be a problem for you. Sweat being one of those things? Yes. Sweat, tears, saliva. So, you know, if you, you know, having symptoms and the travel within those three weeks to one of those three countries would be required for knowing that there's a concern with um, shaking hands. Thank you. Good morning, Nicole. Thank you very much for providing us with this information. We have mentioned Guinea, Sierra Leone, Liberia. Assuming someone, you know, the world has become a global village now. If one of us in this church has somebody visiting from another country and they're not sure, or even one of these three countries, whether they've been in contact with someone who has Ebola and they show symptoms within let's say the 21 days or whatever, as responsible church members, what would you advise us to do? When we call the health department, state department, would you advise that we take the infection control precautions by self-isolation till the results come back and it's negative? Or would you suggest we go about our normal duties? That's my question. Excellent. So my suggestion is let's, we are still just focusing on those three countries. So even if you were to call the Department of Health um, and say someone has traveled from Nigeria at this point or South Africa or Kenya um, and they have symptoms, the recommendation would be they are not at risk for Ebola, but they should go see their doctor for what else this could be, whether it be the flu or malaria or typhoid. Um, many of the people who have traveled and many of the people diagnosed over there have had malaria instead. We were mentioning that there have been uh, 10 um, possible, like 10 people who fulfilled some of this category and had symptoms that we didn't necessarily send a test on, but the majority of them ended up just being malaria and not even progressing in any way um, towards Ebola. So the focus is still just on those three countries, travel from those three countries. If you mention travel from any other uh, country, it will just be to check in with your doctor to make sure you don't have the flu or malaria or something else. And if there is travel from Liberia, Sierra Leone, or Guinea, within 21 days and someone develops symptoms, they call their doctor, the doctor calls the Department of Health, the Department of Health will determine with that person whether or not it's appropriate for them to be quarantined and stay at home or go to the hospital. So it will be handled on a case-by-case -case basis then. Good morning. I was wondering, um going back to like public services if so if we're traveling um would you what would you recommend for like if we're going on a plane because i heard of the plane that they stripped down the whole inside of the plane and redoing it because they're concerned about a um, person who traveled from liberia who was contracted the virus on this particular plane i think it was a man in texas um so as a precaution 
they strip down, I mean, the rugs, the seats, everything inside the plane. So uh, if we're traveling or in public transit, bus, subways, just in contact, um, would you recommend like, you know, face masks or something to cover our seats or anything else along those lines? That's a great question. Um, I wouldn't recommend making any of those additional changes. And it's for the following reasons. One is, particularly in the United States, um, for any cases or exposures that have occurred here, especially given what has happened in Dallas, people, the CDC and public health authorities are being even more um, uh, aggressive with limiting travel for any of the people who have been exposed. If any of the people who have been exposed are traveling, the CDC and public health authorities are being very um, open about educating people to let them know. They mentioned the flights that the person was on from Ohio, so you actually have the flight number and can know whether or not you need to do anything differently. In addition to that, um, last week the CDC uh, activated a process where they are um, at the five major airports that anyone coming from Liberia, Sierra Leone, or Guinea is traveling through to enter the United States, which covers 96% of the people who do that travel. Every day they are monitoring them both on the airport in West Africa side as well as the airport in, on the U.S. side. They're in Atlanta, um, Dulles in uh, D.C., in Chicago, Newark, and JFK, I believe. And what we started receiving at the Department of Health this week is a list of every person that comes in to Rhode Island through one of those um, flights every day. So there's an enhanced um, capacity now to be able to see who is out there, the contact tracing mechanism. As each day goes by, we get better and better at being able to um, be um, fully aware of who's traveling and who may be um, exposed or at risk. And they said it's not more than 150 people that come in through one of those flights every day. So it's less likely that just traveling in public transportation now it will put you at risk. That's when they're able to say it's rare. Um, and that's where we can also continue to make sure that our family members and our friends are educated about knowing you've just traveled, are you okay? Do you have any symptoms? Do you have a doctor to call if symptoms were to develop? Do you want me to help check on you with symptoms? Do you have a thermometer? Do you want me to help provide that for you so that we can all play a role in making sure that the few people who come in um, and may have been exposed when they were there, which is an even fewer number of people, um, aren't at risk of exposing anyone here. So for all of those reasons, it, it wouldn't be necessary to wear a mask or to wipe anything down in public transportation. All right. My question to you is that I've noticed and heard about a lot of stigma going on in you know, neighborhoods and a lot of places against Africans. Put your mic up a little more. Against, against Africans. Uh, for instance, uh, somebody, you know, uh, get into an emergency situation. He's from Africa. And you got people that are coming, you know, to, to help that person. 
and realize that that person is either from Africa or maybe uh, sense the uh, accent, you know, from that person, and he trips to stay away from them. I want you to address that stigma that's going on and how people should be aware because the first person that might come to this person will be the lifesaver of this person. But if they try to stay away, you know, instead of helping that person, that could be dangerous to that person himself. Absolutely. Another uh, uh, second question is that I went to a store, and while I was walking uh, between the aisle, there's a lady that was like about four feet away from me. She sneezed. And when she sneezed, she covered her mouth. Everybody that was in that aisle behind her just went around the other you know, aisle. I mean, that's, these are all the things that have to be educated to the public so we don't have to, you know, have a stigma going on against other people. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, that's why I was more than willing to come and share with you and speak with you, and I applaud Pastor John and the pastoral staff for making sure that we have this opportunity um, because you are the ones who can serve as the ambassadors of making sure that our friends and our family are not stigmatized, that everyone is supported together, and also acknowledging that friends and family are grieving right now or petrified right now for family that is back home. And so we have the opportunity to make sure that we embrace each other because we have this education and this information of understanding um, what would need to go on to be at risk of um, infection. And, you know, a big concern during this, and that's why the Department of Health has tried to, for weeks and weeks now, um, engage with our West African family and communities to make sure that there is not an, uh, an additional stigmatization uh, that occurs. But we know that. And our West African family also want to make sure that they are safe as well. So um, once we educate each other and ourselves, we then have the confidence and ability to say, you haven't traveled, your cat hasn't traveled to Liberia, Sierra Leone, or Guinea. Um, you're not within three weeks of that travel. You don't have symptoms now, and I'm not exposed to any of your bodily fluids. I can, you know, give you a hug with confidence. If one of those things happen, I can put on personal protective equipment and then give you a hug with confidence. So um, it's helpful or important to make sure that fears are minimized and we have the opportunity to show the love. God is giving us this opportunity, which is why I'm honored to be here to share that with you so you can go out and be able to provide that for others. Good morning. Um, my question is, you've had questions about cats and squirrels. Um, my question is about birds and pigeons. Have they had any, um, have they had any cases of Ebola? in those countries on birds and pigeons? Pigeons? Um, no, just the early slide that talked about um, the fruit bats 
and then monkeys and chimpanzees and um, non-primate animals are the ones who are most at risk of exposure. And the issue is also, uh, or the reason why they're at risk is because of having exposure to the fluids of those animals. And that's where the bushmeat concern comes into play. It's less likely that you would have exposure to you know, the fluid or saliva of a bird um, pigeons are a little more, but uh, <laughs> um, it's, it's less, and I don't know uh, what pigeons there are over there, but we don't have any knowledge of Ebola in any of the other animals or risk of spread of infection from those other animals. It's only the ones that I mentioned. So we shouldn't um, really worry about that here? Definitely not here. Okay. Definitely not here. Right. Thank you. Yes. My question is more like on the cost of the care. Um, I work in the healthcare for over 22 years. I know that um, people sometimes trying to take care of things on their own, to trying to prevent um, from you know the expenses. Obviously, the people who's coming from other countries, they're not covered under you know the family that's going to be um, receiving them. Is the state or the CDC health department has anything in place that at least give people peace of mind that they don't have to worry about it? And especially, uh, we have cases that people with flu, they're trying to do everything they can at home and then in the last you know, resource then go receive care or something that it can be said just to give people that, you know, if this has happened, don't worry about it and just go, you know, um, look for, for help or what, what is being done, you know, in, in, that, in that sense? This is an example of what's being done because educating everyone is the key and particularly those who have friends or have family, you know that they have traveled, making sure that they are educated and well-informed of what to do. If they've traveled to Liberia, Sierra Leone, or Guinea, and they are within three weeks of that travel. If you have family members that are scared to engage in the healthcare system, encourage them, go with them, support them. That keeps you healthy, that keeps other people healthy and protected. And being able to spread the word, do not stay at home or do not, not call your doctor if you know you've traveled to Liberia, Sierra Leone, or Guinea, and you're within three weeks of that travel, and you start to have a question of symptoms that develop. So you have the opportunity of talking to the older family members or the younger ones or who you know that may be scared to approach the healthcare system. It's um, a benefit for everyone, for those family members, for the friends, and for the public to know that if there are symptoms, you need to um, access the healthcare uh, system. Call your doctor and you can make sure that those family members have a thermometer. They know what symptoms to look for. You can help them. Call them and see, are you de have you developed any symptoms? Are you doing okay? During that time, as long as they don't have symptoms, they can go to work and engage in the normal activities that they do. As Dr. Rocha emphasized, it's only when you get symptoms that there's risk of transmission. So being able to educate our family members and friends to know what symptoms to watch for, to have a thermometer, to be able to check for fever, to make sure they have a doctor to call or if they can call your doctor if they don't have one, to help support each other that way is the biggest um, mechanism 
public health agencies have in place to reassure everyone, you know, that this is um, under control with our help together. Thank you, doctor. Uh, I heard a first responder question. I'm a former first responder and I lived through having to go with uh, giving CPR with a mask as HIV came in. It's fair to assume every one of these towns, police and fire, first responders have all been through training. You've already, you or someone has already talked to each town and they've already got a protocol in place to address concerns about a first responder. They probably already have been trained and probably going through reoccurring training, having people like you come out and talk to them. Is that correct? Yes, so at the Rhode Island Department of Health, there has been an Ebola task force that has met weekly that I've been a part of since the end of August. And it's been uh, interdisciplinary. So we've had people from communications to legal to um, infectious diseases to EMS to firefighters. I also participated on a call with all of the EMS and firefighters municipalities where we were able to answer questions. There is still you know, a, a work in progress in making sure that the education continues to be spread. But they have been engaged and a part of our discussions, Rhode Island EMA as well, um, since the beginning, since we've had these task forces. They're an important component to this whole process. Thank you. Could you, could you one more time go through, because I know it's by repetition, because all kinds of things pop into our minds. What the steps are, what countries, what time period, and what symptoms they are. Okay. I actually want us to say it together. <laughs> all right? Uh. <laughs> okay. So if we have someone, a family member or a friend that we know of, who has recently traveled somewhere, what are the countries they need to have traveled from? Liberia. Sierra Leone or Guinea. Guinea. Excellent. And with, upon returning to the U.S. with that travel, how many weeks are needed to monitor them for development of any symptoms? Three, Three weeks. weeks. Another question. How many days are needed to monitor them for symptoms within that time? 21 days. 21 days. Exactly. Now... Within those 21 days, we've talked about some of the symptoms that they need to be aware of. If they develop any symptoms, they need to call their doctor immediately. What's the top one of those symptoms that they need to be aware of? Fever. Fever, exactly. So if you have friends or family members that do not have a thermometer and you know they've traveled, help each other out with getting a thermometer for them. Make sure that they know how to check for fever. For the most part, too, people can sort of tell. They have chills or, or are feeling unwell. That's enough to be able to say. Some of the other symptoms outside of fever include headache, includes nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. Up there is also back aches, muscle aches and pains. Anything else? Bleeding. Bleeding actually happens very late in the process. So early on, it's the fever, the headache, the body aches, vomiting, diarrhea, nausea, and abdominal pain, feeling fatigued. 
Exactly. So educating each other about those uh, symptoms is important. So if someone has traveled to one of those three countries, it's been within 21 days or three weeks, and they have symptoms, what are some of the bodily fluids that you would have to be exposed to to be at risk for Ebola? Blood. Blood is the most important bodily fluids. That they have found has been the most infectious, particularly after the three days or 72 hours that I mentioned when we checked the test. The blood has been found to be the most infectious. Throw out some more. Excellent. I'll repeat some of them. Sweat, tears, saliva, urine, stool, semen. Anything else? Breast milk. We covered all of them. Vomiting, yes. Diarrhea, yes. So, um, and in order to then be at risk for Ebola, you would have to have been exposed to one of those bodily fluids and someone who is within three weeks or 21 days of travel from Liberia, Sierra Leone, or Guinea. If any of those have occurred, what are we supposed to do immediately? Call the doctor. And that doctor is supposed to contact the Department of Health. It's important for you guys to know that as well. Because while we're educating the public, we also need to be educating our doctors. And in case you get the education because we're members at FCC together before the doctors get the education, (laughs) you can make sure that the doctors are informed. I have these symptoms. I have traveled within the last 21 days to Liberia, Sierra Leone, or Guinea. Have you heard of Ebola? We're concerned about it. Let's do something together. And you can make sure that the doctor knows as well. And of course, they will say, absolutely. I'm well prepared for that. I'll be calling the Department of Health, and we'll let you know what the next step is from there. And the the worst thing that somebody that develops those symptoms can do is hide and get afraid of what's going to happen. Say that again, Pastor John. The worst thing that somebody can do that develops those symptoms within that criteria is to be afraid and hide and stay at home and not not report it to the doctor. And that's why the way you treat people going forward is key. If they know that you are moving away from them and are afraid from them, there's not going to be any encouragement for them to say, let me go get help. They're going to say, I'll just stay home. I won't tell anyone. I won't do anything. But now that you're educated, you can embrace them confidently knowing, do you have symptoms? Have you traveled? Um, Liberia, Sierra Leone, Guinea? Call your doctor. Let's call them right now. Don't go anywhere. Don't move. We're going to have a next step from there. Don't be afraid to engage in the healthcare system. That is a key message for our friends and our family who are not here. You are now the educators, and you know more than what they know right now. So I'm counting on you to help pass this along, because I can't be in everyone's household. Though if you have good food, I would love to. (laughs) But I'm counting on you to be able to spread that word further from here. Thank you so much for your time and doing this.